Welcome back to Get to the Good Part. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. And we are circling back around after having finished the book and taken a little bit of a break. And what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the book and flesh out the references to this book that either myself or Aaron didn't experience growing up. Like, we grew up through the 80s, right? Sure did. And there's a ton of crap that we didn't watch that we totally missed out on. There are whole sections of the book that we just would not get. Oh, my God, And yeah. the references, even if we'd seen some of them, I, I think for the most part, there are a large number of, of movie and music and in pop culture that at least one of us didn't get. So oh, we're definitely. going to do the equivalent of the Grail Diary in that we're going to go through and we're going to experience these references anew. Uh, either because we've seen it a long, long time ago and just don't remember it, or it's actually new for you and me. So if, before we really jump in, I, I mean, let's just be honest here. Since we both originally read the book, we've mm -hmm. been diving into some references in the book on our own anyway. Okay. Like, I know like I have. What? I mean, like, there's definitely some movies that I watched the only because it was mentioned in the book. And there, yes. And and to be fair, some of those references are references I'm really thankful for having been introduced to and watched, and there are others that I strongly regret. Ah, so you're thankful for having watched Brazil. I'm definitely not thankful for having watched Brazil. Yeah, me neither. That, that is in the regret category. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, all right. So what's, what is a reference that you experienced because of the book? That I liked? Mm -hmm. Well, that maybe you and I haven't discussed. Uh, well, we haven't discussed The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. That's true. That's true. So you've, so you've seen Buckaroo Banzai. I have seen as, it. As a result of having read the book. I, I absolutely have. And Wait a second. I thought you were going to wait to watch Buckaroo Banzai. No, no, no. I thought no. you were gonna, I going I to burst that cherry with me. No, 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 no. I watched this like a year ago. Oh, shit. Okay. Before we even had this plan for what we we're going to do after we finished the book. Well, I have not. I don't think I've seen Buckaroo Banzai. I've, you got to keep in mind, Buckaroo Banzai came out in, what, 1984, right? And that, that was, during that period of time, that came on HBO maybe a year later. And it was one of those things where, like HBO, you, you would turn on the TV, you had five, maybe six channels to choose from, and, and if you, your parents were paying for it, you got HBO, which was home box office at the time, still is, uh, and I would get pieces of it. I would get pieces of it. So, so can I tell you what I remember, kind of? Because I don't think I've seen it front to back, from beginning to end. Okay, what do you remember? So what I, what I remember of Buckaroo Banzai is... Um, I know that there's some sort of interdimensional travel. I remember like a car on rails or something. Uh, I remember that there are aliens. Um, and I think the one thing that stuck with me through my childhood was the term big booty. Slide forward, out of your big booty! Big foot, hey! Hey, hey! Uh, but and I think that had something to do with John Lithgow. However, I, that's it. Like, that's the extent of my memory of this movie. All right. Well, that you have a lot of gaps to fill in. And frankly, some of those things that you remember, I barely remember. And I watched this movie 
a year or so ago. So it's going to be an interesting ride, I would say. All right. Well, cool. Well, do we want to talk about how it's rated or should we wait till the very end? Let's do it at the end because uh, I want to. I, you want to go in I'm fresh? I'm curious. I want to go in fresh. I don't want to have any expectations. And when we circle in the end, I want to see if if maybe my impression is either way off base or if everyone hates it or loves it as much as I do or whatever. I mean, I just, you know, we'll do it afterwards. We'll do it okay. afterwards. Maybe we should also put this into perspective, and that I don't mind doing. So what came out during that period of time? Oh, I mean, this is like right around the time that Ghostbusters came out, which I think was 1984 as well. Right. Um, I think uh, Back to the Future was probably pretty close to being released by this time. Uh, just so this was pretty much the height of '80s movies, yeah. Like the the best movies of the '80s were coming out right around now. And I think it's important to note here that Ernest Cline loved this movie so much that he wrote a follow up script for the next movie that never happened. Right? When I'm, we're looking at movies for 1984, we're talking about. I think we're talking about Karate Kids, we're talking Ghostbusters, oh, we're talking right, Gremlins, kid. we're talking Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, right? That's a right around that time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Terminator came out that period of time, Red Oof. Dawn. There's a lot of like high high level, there was Star Trek Three, you know, the one no one cared about. So there's a lot of like sort of high end movies here. This is what I this is what we should be comparing it to. So that at the end, you know, we can't compare it to what we've seen today. That's not fair. It's a whole other level of technology, but I want I want to compare it against as a baseline these other movies that came out around the same time that potentially had the same access to budget uh uh you know, kind of quality for quality. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's kind of like we can't compare the special effects to movies made today because it just wouldn't be fair. We got to see we got to compare it to what we know from that era. And that's completely right. reasonable. And right. I guess before we actually hit play we probably ought to maybe introduce it in the context of why why we're watching it as a reference in Ready Player One. Right. And for those of you who've forgotten, because it's been a while since we covered that chapter, the first reference to Buckaroo Banzai in the book is when Parzival is preparing to go to the Distracted Globe for Ogden Morrow's birthday. That's chapter 18. And... This is right when he's spending that hour tweaking his avatar's hair, and he says that he finally settled on some classic 1980s-era attire, a light gray suit, exactly like the one Peter Weller wore in Buckaroo Banzai, complete with a red bow tie, along with a pair of vintage white Adidas high tops. And shortly thereafter, we get the second reference to Buckaroo Banzai when he's talking about his tricked-out DeLorean that has an oscillation overthruster which comes from Buckaroo Banzai, and his personalized plates that say Ecto-88. The 88 is a reference to Buckaroo Banzai. Are we ready to get this cracking? You want to count down? Sure. Ready? Right. Three, two, one.
president's on line one, calling about is everything okay with the alien space club and planet 10, or should he just go ahead and destroy Russia? Tell him yes on one and no on two. Which was yes, to destroy Russia or uh, the number two? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Aaron from the show. First of all, thank you for listening. Once you finish listening to this episode, do us a solid. Go ahead and give us a rating and write a review of the show. This lets us know that we're doing a good job and helps other people find us. And speaking of other people, if you know someone who might enjoy the show, we would love it if you told them about it. We can be found at gttgp.com. There's tons of stuff on there. You can learn more about us. There's an episode guide. And of course... You can find our social media pages, where we love geeking out with our listeners. Now, let's get to the good part. <laughs> All right. That was, um, uh, I feel like I missed something. Missed something with, or with, wasted with, two hours? I, I, this is, this is. We've, we've got to keep this in perspective here, okay? So let's let's compare it to Brazil. No, let's or... compare it to a good movie. No, 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 no. Let's compare it to Brazil because Brazil was an utter waste of fucking sure. time. I feel like we're missing something. I feel like there were references that that there was like an in joke somewhere, and I, maybe this is because it's based on a comic book or something, and there are in jokes that were baked into it that we just did not get because we've not read the comic books. Maybe. I mean, it, uh, all right. So I want to make sure that I understand this movie. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you the synopsis, and you tell me if I am wrong. Okay. I'm gonna try. Okay. So this is about Buckaroo Banzai and his you. group, his band of of science rockers called the um the uh, Hong Kong Cavaliers him and the Hong Kong Cavaliers and them also being scientists he was able to travel through a mountain by squeezing the space between his molecules and atoms between the spaces in the mountains molecules and atoms and as he did so he traveled through the eighth dimension and brought back a hitchhiker and unbeknownst to him there is a group of aliens from planet 10 that have been living here since the the uh, Orwell um the radio show uh, the, the the radio show the radio broadcast that was not a show but he was brainwashed into saying that it was even though it wasn't they believe and they're just trying to get home but going home would mean taking over planet 10 and ending planet 10 so you've got these aliens the other aliens from planet 10 hanging out over earth and basically threatening to launch a strike against Russia, which would then launch a strike against the U.S. if they don't kill the other aliens from Planet 10 that would otherwise use his device to jump back through 
the eighth dimension. Am I, am I, does that sound right? Uh, I think so. Did I miss anything? I don't know. I mean, I might have fallen asleep again through this one. <laughs> what? All right. It was <clears throat> not a great movie. Okay. What are we comparing this to? Everything. All right. So around this time, Ghostbusters came out. Doesn't even call the candle to it. Well, and it might be because Ghostbusters is a is a comedy. It's a comedy. This I don't think this was meant to be a comedy. I think this was meant to be like campy an action campy action thing. Can we can we at least can we agree that this might fall this on is, the, this, the on IMDb it's considered an adventure, comedy, romance and sci-fi. Well, all right then. So, do you think that this is a cult classic? Um, I think it is, I but I don't know why. Okay. All right, well then let's start with what you did not like about the movie. The, I think there, you know how like some movies, TV shows, like they connect the dots really well. I feel mm-hmm. like this doesn't. Where were the dots missing here? Like, was there anything that just lost you? Maybe it's just because of the overly campiness of it. I, I don't understand why so many people like this film. I d- and like it's hard to put to words. I was just bored by it. There is sort of a level of, of technical component here, right? You've got spaceships. You've got spaceships that are flying around. I have to imagine that the, the director or the writer was like, how can we make the shapes of these look really alien? And then how can we make the aliens sound really alien? And... um. Evidently, making them sound Jamaican equals alien. My comrades are at this very moment taking up a geostationary position over New Jersey. This situation is explosive. This, to me, felt like a lot of other movies that I like smushed into one to make a movie that I don't really care about. Okay. You know, like, I saw elements of They Live in Here, which was kind of like... That was a new thing for me to notice because the first time I saw it, I don't think I picked up on that. Could you find any redeeming quality? It it had its moments. There were some lines that were pretty good. Um, it has quite a cast. I mean, you're right. There there is a huge huge cast. I mean, but were these guys big at that time? Uh, well, we know we know Peter Weller went on to do RoboCop, right? And Jonathan Lithgow is freaking awesome in everything he does, I think. Uh, Jeff Goldblum, huge. Christopher Lloyd, also huge. But I think he... You think it's Back to the Future? No. I mean, I think he first got started to get popular with... Um, and he was in... Ta- yeah. So, yeah. Actually, One Flew Over yeah. the Cuckoo's Nest was his first one role. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, 1975. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But, like, right after Buck Rubanza, he was in Back to the Future. Yeah, okay, so he's been in a ton of stuff. It's it's you've got a lot of good actors. I don't know the comic. So I think the thing we're missing here is the comic. I think that if if we had read the comic, we'd probably get a lot of ends. Like I think there's like a bunch of nested shit. And if I had to imagine a reason why Ernest Klein loved this movie as much as he says that he did. So much that he wrote the follow-up script for the next movie. It would have to be because there was a bunch of in stuff that he was privy to that otherwise an audience looking onto this wouldn't know. And uh, it feels like that. Like, for example, why is there, why is there a watermelon on the shelf? We never got an answer. I'll tell you later. 
we never fucking come back to that. But I, I just wonder if like there's a watermelon as a thing in one of the comic books. I think the comic books and... came out later. Really? I... I'm trying to look it up, and like I... it looks like they came out in '85. Well, shit. That <laughs> I don't know. That I don't know. Like you're right. Issue number one is 1984. Uh, I'm at a loss. So it had to have been a comic book that came out to complement the movie because the movie said that there was a comic book written after him. So they had to produce a comic book. So I, it, evidently there were just these random fucking things. It's kind of like it's that thing. Oh, okay. We're just going to accept that and keep on moving. What? All right. I, this is one of those situations where I, 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 I get that there is a love for this. I don't get the why. I, I honestly, the story is so so. I, the actors are good actors with just crap writing. Yeah, I think this is a movie where if you didn't fall in love with it around the time frame that it came out, it's going to be hard to get. Really, I mean, I, I will admit, I think I enjoyed it a little bit better the second time than the first time. I think the first time okay. I actually did literally fall asleep. This time I came close, but it wasn't. As bad as the first time. I don't think I would see it a third time. Uh, so, yeah, here's the other thing. Have you looked at If you haven't opened it yet, don't. What do you think it is on Rotten Tomatoes? On Rotten Tomatoes, I would say it's something in the range of a 78. I, I, I think that, that it is, is just enough nostalgia today to give it a ranking that high, but that it's not nearly as high as some of the nostalgia movies from the 80s. So, Buckaroo Banzai is rated fresh at 71. Okay. I'm pretty close. It is stated as a parody. and oh, So, let's see. What? Yeah, it's considered like a sci-fi parody. Uh, really? The critics' consensus is sci-fi parodies like these usually struggle to work, but Buckaroo Banzai succeeds through total devotion to its own lunacy. And the audience score was 69, so basically the same as the tomato meter. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and that would explain why it's fresh, because it's just high enough that the critics and the audience pretty much agree on this movie. Yep. And that, and that kind of makes sense, but because we're not talking about critics from the 1980s, right? And I'm reading some of the positives, right? So there are fun fripperies. There are fun fripperies to be found on the fringe of Buckaroo's free-for-all. Thanks, Nick Rogers. That's, that's great. But like the bells and whistles of a garish pinball game, they are but momentarily enjoyable distractions on a machine that was destined to tilt from the get-go. That doesn't feel like a positive... That doesn't review. feel like anything. That's just gibberish. <laughs> well, it's, it's a solid tomato. Uh, off the wall and incoherent but colorful and eccentric, this satire benefiting from a great cast became a cult item. I, why is it the satire? I missed what it's making fun of. I don't get it. Is it making fun of sci-fi? Or... I think it's making fun of sci-fi because... films because, like, if you think about late seventies, early eighties, there were a lot coming out. Right. Then. I, I I did not approach this at all like a like a like a parody. Like it would be different if it was something mimicking something else. This isn't mimicking anything. There was nothing really quite like this. At all. Like, I can't think of anything like this before 1980. Ah, that little Can spaceship you? kind of felt like Thunder Road, didn't it? 
Thunder Road. <sighs> Explorers. I mean, it had the same sort of woo-woo moving around and all that bullshit, but it didn't look like a giant seashell. No, but it the special effects are on par. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yes, the special effects, I think, are kind of similar. And I would even go so far as to say Explorers was more of a parody of sci-fi than anything else, because they get to the aliens, and the aliens are twerpy. Pedophiles. Idiots. Yeah, precisely. Well, I mean, they were teenagers themselves. So, But yeah, I mean, and these are not great reviews. Here's here's one that is a solid tomato, right? Just how much, just how much one will be able to jibe with Buckaroo Banzai will hinge on whether or not you're willing to buy into the movie's unabashed lunacy. Basically saying, if you buy into the idiocy, then this might be a good movie for you. That's not a good review. No, and then some of the negative reviews... It violates every rule of storytelling and narrative structure in creating a self-contained world of its own. And and then this other review. Yes. It's easy to see the appeal, what with its loopy characters, its loopy plot, and its loopy dialogue. It's just a shame there's not more lurking underneath all that surface quirk. And that is about as perfect a review of this movie as I think I could even come up with. Yeah. Yeah, that, that pretty much nails it. Okay. So uh, so let's let's move away from what other people thought and get down to the point of why we even watched this in the first place. And mm-hmm. well, I guess if Ernest Klein were here listening, I would just want to ask him, what do you like about this movie? And liked it enough to write a sequel. Where is the meta here? What are the Easter eggs in this movie? that he just got or that he felt he had an in with. It's got to be it because it doesn't have any particularly great dialogue, evidently not based on a comic book that wasn't based on the movie. Uh, I'm at a loss. I really am. I would propose that I would voluntarily watch this again if we were sitting there watching with Ernest Klein and he was doing like a VH1 pop-up video for us so we could understand why it's so great. Yeah. I would uh, I would definitely agree, and uh, you know I'll pose it to anyone listening. So go to our go to our Facebook page, shoot us a message uh, wherever you're wherever you get this wherever you're streaming this. Let us know what we're missing here. What 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 is the end? How is this a satire? Uh, this this came to me. It felt to me like a very sort of serious take with some quirky sort of intentionally funny moments, like the watermelon being an example. Why is there a watermelon there? I'll tell you later. You know, I, what I would really want is kind of like, why the watermelon? He'd be like, you know, there's always that weird thing in the movies. No, I don't fucking know that there's always that weird thing in the movies. So you put a watermelon in to make fun of that always weird thing in the movies? It, is that the reason why there was a it's watermelon? It's Chekhov's watermelon. Is that somehow the... I, oh, God. <laughs> Actually, it fucking is. You nailed it. That's that is a Chekhov's watermelon. <laughs> you nailed it. That's exactly what it is. It's that thing that they mentioned that they put a point on. Somebody noticed, and he said, "We'll get back to that." And they never get back to it. That is a Chekhov's they're, gun. They're going to get to it in the sequel. That, that never happened. I want to read Ernie's <laughs> script for the, not, the for the sequel. Maybe it's in there. Putting emphasis on something that you never come back to that makes no fucking sense whatsoever. Uh, and maybe that's it. Maybe there were just a bunch of tropes 
compiled into the movie, and we're just not familiar enough with the tropes to pluck them out. I guess. Maybe maybe that's the satire, is is uh, making fun of a shitload of tropes. Because you did have the torture, you did have the using the woman as the hostage, you know, uh, you, know you, you did have this sort of emotional breakdown, you know, the sentimental hero... And he's, you know, a rock star, so you've got a little bit of rock star trope in there, right? You've got a, a bunch of, you know, you've got the he's a genius, he's he's got a special vehicle. It really nails down just across the board uh, a number of character and, and plotline tropes all kind of mooshed into one movie. And, and I wonder if that's not what the, I wonder if that's not what it's teasing out at. And you've uncovered it with the watermelon. Because that had to have been on purpose. They had to have said, we're going to put a Chekhov's gun in this movie. And at some point, they're like, put the watermelon there. They're sneaking through. Why is there a watermelon there? I'll tell you about it later. And then never get back to it. Maybe you have to be a real like, student of film to understand this. Maybe. And maybe that's the end. Maybe, maybe that is the end. Is that it is, a, it is a satire, but it's a satire of the tropes that all the tropes that sort of pop culture sci-fi is trying to dig at. But in doing so, it put together something wholly unique. Like, I had never seen anything like this movie before. Definitely after, nothing like it before. Agreed. Maybe it was just so ahead of its time. You know, because, like, it feels so referential to things that happened afterwards. You're right. There's a lot of shit that happened in this movie that happened in movies almost near following. You have the goop on the screen. Ghostbusters had the goop on the walls from ectoplasm. Yep. So passing through dimensions might have had this additional well, goop, I, if I you will. I think about you know, the vehicle, the tire tracks, the car disappears. That's Back to the Future. Yeah, that's fucking Back to the Future, which comes later. What was the other one that you said uh, was... They Live. Was a... They right, I mean, they live is is just core premise to this yeah. movie. You know, you could have easily just pulled it out of like, oh, well, that makes sense. There are aliens. Only a few people can see it because of the special glasses. All right, what about the record player, which had like a little spaceship <laughs> spinning on a red thick disc, creating a hologram? Because you notice it was like a miniature spaceship, yeah, going around the record to create the hologram. That felt a little Star Wars-y. That felt, um, I don't know. What else did you get from that one? It looked like they were wearing. It looked like they were wearing uh, packaging. Oh yeah, the uh, bubble wrap on the face. The, it looked like they were wearing bubble wrap. And another thing, remember they threw uh, uh, the doctor into the into the into the ice chest that was lined with bubble yeah. wrap, like one layer on my one layer of bubble wrap. Did you notice did. that? But it's an ice chest, and if you put somebody in there and you close the lid, they're not going to die because the car bumped him around a little. And on top of that, he was fumbling with the keys. Like, he was going and getting the keys and just, you know, opening doors. And I'm willing to bet that it's the same guy that's in the Matrix. I look. Not the same guy? Oh, it looks a lot like him. Racism. What are you saying, man? Some kind of race war in New Jersey? What? No. No. No, I just thought that he looked like an older version of that guy. I know, jeez. People can look like each other. Where do we stand on this movie as far as 
uh, it being a part of the book and as far as it being part of uh, Ready Player One. I mean, what, a, what do you mean? There's a cool factor that's trying to be mimicked within the book. I mean, there are a number of looks that he could have gone for, but the iconic look that Ernest Klein wrote into the book was Buckaroo Bonsai. I mean, I guess it's, in some ways that's Parzival trying to c- convey the sense that, you know, he's, you know, if he's Buckaroo Bonsai, at, by the end of the movie, he gets the girl. That's true. It also means that he's, you know, smart at technology stuff. He's knowledgeable across a wide range of fields. Maybe that's that's the parallel, possibly. And that's kind of the core of what these characters in the book have to do, is they have to be brilliant at a ton of different things in order to pick up on the clues in the game. And and ultimately, it's the same kind of plot. You're trying to prevent the overthrow of the world. Right. But that's, that is kind of like its own... That's a trope, trope in itself, right? so... Yeah. Yeah, that is. Uh, so trying to appear smart, or or at least mimic mimic being smart, being a brilliant character, but I think it's also like an in. Like maybe there's a small, solid group of people who just absolutely loved and, and idolized this movie for whatever reason. Now, again, I'm, I'm hoping the audience, I'm hoping people will, will let us know why. But that to kind of get that respect, to have that in to look like Buckaroo Bonsai and for someone else to pick that up as sort of like an obscure cult-esque reference is kind of like a test in and of itself because I, I think this movie is potentially obscure. You know, this this isn't like the kind of movie that you would remember like Ghostbusters. You, you, don't, you don't hear people quoting this movie, or at least I don't. Like, I can do a Ghostbusters quote Everyone picks up on it. I don't know that I could do much, many of Buckaroo Bonsai. I wonder if we went to a con, anybody if we would. You know, like if, if you went to a Comic-Con, you might hear more people, but I think it would have, it would, you'd have to almost solicit it because there's just so many yeah, better so. quotable things. And not only that, but like the one-liners in this movie were really bad. I mean, painfully obvious, right? Yeah. Remember, no matter where you go, there you are. Or the really? future begins tomorrow. Or the future begins tomorrow. And maybe that's part of the... the maybe, maybe that's, that's what it... That's yeah, because like, uh, if you think about all the other movies that you've seen that have these silly slogans, and they're stupid, maybe that's exactly what it's making fun of. So maybe there is something to the uh, the parody of it. The wonder of it all. If I think of the movie as just a, a parody that's taking itself intensely seriously, uh, then maybe it's a little bit more entertaining in my mind. Yeah. It almost seems like if it really wanted to be a parody, it was it was a little too serious. You know, like, like you have to be told it's a parody. And it was, it was, yes, and I didn't even think it was. I just thought it was like a sci-fi movie. Uh, it was. It took itself so seriously that that the idea of a watermelon on a shelf seemed stupid, not funny. Yeah. Right. And if you're taking yourself, if the movie takes itself that seriously, you're gonna miss it. Now, if let's compare that to an actual parody, right? Like Airplane Two. Yeah. In Airplane pilot... Two, that watermelon would have been hilarious. Yes. You know, it would have been the watermelon would have been back there with the computer that they had to blow up. And if somebody said, what's that watermelon doing back here? Don't worry about it, Jane. I'll tell you later. And then you never tell them later. And that would be funny. Because you know 
damn well this is a parody. So we're making obviously making fun of something here. In in Buckaroo Banzai didn't feel obvious at all. It it felt like somebody was like, I'm really serious about making this movie, and then that movie came out like, that's not so great. But as a parody, maybe just not obvious. All right, I I think I think we've, we've done it. Drilled this into the ground. I I feel like we're gonna get people to hate us because <laughs> I just. I do not enjoy this, obviously, as much as Ernest Klein does, and maybe as much as many of the people that are listening. Uh, I think that's okay. Well, I'm kind of curious who has seen this without being prompted by the book and what they thought of it. uh, I'm also curious as to whether or not anybody saw it recently as as, as a – if anybody saw it recently in response to having read the book. Because it's it's obviously kind of a it's a big deal to to you know the character within the book, it's a big deal to the author. It's a very big deal. <laughs> so, yeah, evidently. All right. So, for me, uh, it's it's good to know this movie. It's good to understand how the characters accentuate Parzival and his choice of Buckaroo Banzai and his look and style to impress the lady to win over to win over the heart of the girl that he is pining for to to take on this persona not of only of cool but of somebody who kind of knows it all in the context of the movie Buckaroo Banzai and I've totally missed that like I I totally missed that like him choosing Buckaroo Banzai was kind of like okay it was a character but I would never have until now really kind of connected it to him trying to to portray a persona of looking Incredibly smart. Yeah, it, but kind of it, it honestly would be a perfect. It, it's a perfect reference for something that was obviously loved by someone like James Halliday. It makes sense in the context of Ready Player One. However, I do. I'm failing at having a connection to this movie. There you go. So it's it's all right to like it or not like it, but to at least understand how it squirrels and worms its way into the book and accentuates the book and adds just a little bit of nuanced flavor. For that, I do appreciate this movie. For anything else, not so much. All right, so what do you say we wrap it up? I think we're done with this one. Yeah, I think we're done. All right, then. With that said, this is Chris. And this is Aaron. And we will catch you in the next episode. Get to the good part. (laughs) 